Welcome to the Coach Growth Podcast, where we hope to provide value and learning to not only young and new coaches, but all coaches who want to continue to grow. I am your host, Coach Andrew McKacky. If you get something out of today's episode, please leave a rating and a review, and don't forget to subscribe so you can stay up to date on the latest episode. Lastly, follow me on Twitter at Coach McGacky, that's M-C-G-H-G-H-Y, and don't be afraid to reach out with any coaches or topics you want to hear me talk about. My guest this evening is Coach Tyler Germain. Tyler is a sprint hurdle coach up in Michigan, as well as the starter slash founder of Coach Speed, a movement that he started on Twitter not that long ago trying to encourage other coaches and former athletes to go on this journey with him where he has started sprinting again and worked on getting faster. It's a really great thing that he's doing that I'm happy to be a part of, so please enjoy. Coach, why don't you just start by introducing yourself, um, let people know who you are and where and what you coach right now. Yeah, uh, so my name is Tyler Germain, and I'm currently an assistant track and field coach at Kalamazoo Central High School in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Uh, I've also begun working a little bit with the football team this summer for their off-season speed work. Um, you know, there were a lot of question marks this summer of what football was even going to look like this fall uh, in Michigan, but nevertheless, we got some speed work done with the football players uh, over the summer. So how did you get into coaching? You know, take us back to the beginning. What was, you know, what was your genesis as a coach? Why, when, how, all that kind of stuff? So um, I'm, I've been coaching for uh, 16 years now. This past spring, although our season got cut off, uh, was my 16th year of coaching. Um, and I'm only 34, which if you do the, the math backwards on that, tells you I started coaching pretty young. Um, so I was a sprinter and a hurdler, hurdler primarily in high school. And uh, after I graduated, the guy who had coached me in hurdles um, was no longer going to be part of that high school's coaching staff anymore. And so my head coach uh, from when I was in high school, uh, Mike Nesbitt, Bay City Western, if you follow Michigan track and field at all, you know that he's one of the best around, especially with uh, distance and mid-distance guys. But um, he approached me and asked if I'd be willing to uh, work with the hurdlers because I was going to be going to college locally um, and and just asked me if I'd be willing to come back. So uh, I came back on a volunteer basis um, when I was, I guess, 18. And then I turned turned 19 that spring. Uh, so volunteering, like I started out like three, three four days a week uh, that year. Uh, and then the following season, there was a full-time paid position that opened up on staff. Uh, and so I, I joined the staff officially that following year. Um, I coached there for six years. Uh, after I graduated from college, I got my first teaching job in Benton Harbor, Michigan, and coached there for one year. Uh, and at that time, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, uh, we were long distance and she was living in, in Illinois, going to grad school at uh, University of Illinois. So. Um, I found a teaching job down there, and I coached in central Illinois at Monticello High School uh, for four years alongside Cully Welter, who's also uh, I've, one of the best there is. He's a, was inducted in the Football Coaches Hall of Fame uh, in Illinois a year or two ago. Um, excellent track coach, learned a lot from him. And then when my wife finished school down there, we wanted to move back to Michigan. So uh, I, we moved again, uh, and I coached for two years uh, in Coopersville, which is a small town in West Michigan. Um, and then ultimately, I landed here uh, in Kalamazoo, and this is my uh, fourth 
fourth year teaching uh, in Kalamazoo and this spring will be uh, my fourth year coaching in Kalamazoo. So all that adds up to 16 years at one, two, three, four, five different schools. Uh, but I'm hoping that this is home for, for the long haul. So I know you primarily, you know, obviously through Twitter, you're a big proponent of speed work, you know, max velocity training and things like that. Was that always the case? You know, when you started out so young, what was your kind of training, you know, coaching philosophy when you started out? Uh, yeah, it definitely wasn't always my philosophy. Um, and I didn't know what I was doing, man. When I, when I started out, I, my, like I said, my varsity coach, uh, asked me to come back and coach hurdlers. And so that's what I did. Um, and you know, I, I think like a lot of coaches, especially young coaches, you tend to coach the way that you were coached. Um, and we had pretty good success at Bay City Western and they continue to have a successful track program. Um, so there's not, it's not that, it's not that I fundamentally disagree with anything that they do there or, or, or anything like that, but I, my philosophy has definitely changed, you know, um, as a runner, I was, uh, the type of guy who I was throwing up at every meet. Um, it wasn't uncommon for me to be throwing up at practice. Uh, I sort of wore that as a badge of honor in a way. Um, and you know, I, as a young coach, I was like, well, let's see if we can get get some kids to puke. <laughs> uh, and I just, I, I think back on that now and I just kind of want to smack myself uh, upside the head. Um, and I also don't think that it was actually uh, anything that the coaches did to me that made me puke. I think I might've had a problem, uh, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, early on, you know, I was kind of like, well, what's the toughest workout I can come up with? You know, how can I really, really push these guys so that, uh, and girls, I've coached both boys and girls. Um, how can I really push them so that, you know, they're in great shape for the meets. Uh, they're not going to, they're not going to get tired and die at the end of races and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and you know, that sort of evolved slowly. Um, I remember when I left Bay City Western and I had my first, uh, coaching job in Benton Harbor as a totally different, totally different school, uh, demographically, totally different, um, team culture. Um, and, and I remember like early in the season one year, well, the only year I was there, uh, it was like a really cold day, you know, probably like 35, 36, 37 degrees in Southwest Michigan in March. Uh, and I wanted to go outside, you know, cause that's, we got to go outside. We can't, we can't stay in, we got to do this stuff. And the coach was like, well, I'm not so sure that it's probably the best idea for us to go outside when we can get some of this stuff done in the hallways. And I just remember being like, well, what are we doing? We're, we're going to be soft. We're going to be, you know, uh, and now I'm like, yeah, that's probably the right call. Um, so yeah, it's been a, it's been a long evolution, I would say. Um, and I think what really, I know what really did it for me. Um, you know, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to see uh, Tony Holler at, uh, at a clinic. And when I say like that, it changed my life. I, I don't think I'm over, I'm not overstating that. And people won't look at me like I'm crazy uh, when I say that to them. Uh, my wife thought I was crazy when I came back from the clinic and I'm like, honey, my wife, my life has been changed. Um, it, but it, it, seeing him uh, and I had a chance to talk with him, you know, afterwards, and we've actually talked several times since then. Um, 
it just completely flipped the script on everything that I've ever thought about, um, about sprint training in particular. Um, you know, we get kids uh, at the end of a school day with next to nothing in their tank. Uh, and sometimes as coaches, we treat them like they're showing up, you know, uh, bright eyed and bushy tailed and with spring in their step and all this kind of stuff. But we, but that's just not the reality, you know? Um, and so, uh, kind of shifted my mindset to trying to do less, uh, and hopefully achieve, uh, at least the same, if not more, um, you know, and the whole minimum effective dose philosophy of, of training um, and obviously prioritizing speed uh, above, above everything else um, to keep athletes happy and healthy and fresh and continuing to make those speed gains. So, uh, and, you know, that was like year 13 or something for me. So I went from uh, a young kid, basically, uh, who didn't know anything, you know, and then kind of getting my identity as like the coach who just wants to run you and run you and run you uh, to eventually, you know, I think I, I slowly evolved away from that. But then the real, like the real clincher for me was having the opportunity to see uh, Tony Holler. And by the way, I didn't know who he was before that. Um, I had no idea. I'd never heard of this guy before. I saw this like title for this presentation, feed the cats. I'm like, well, it's, what's this all about? Uh, and, but it was kind of, um, kind of just dumb luck because at that time, at that particular clinic, I think the other sessions, like there was a, there was like a throwing session and like a pole vault session, uh, and a distance session, uh, all going on at that time. And that was really the only sprint session available at that time. So I was like, well, I guess I'm going to go to this one. Um, and I don't know, I don't know what I would be doing right now if I hadn't seen that you know like i like to think that i would have uh changed my ways <laughs> a bit but um it it just completely changed my whole mindset my whole approach to how i try to coach sprinters it's awesome it's crazy the effect tony has on you when you hear him for the first time he spoke at the iowa clinic that i go to every year last year and i took my assistant to it and similar thing he came out of it with his eyes just why like you know his whole life had been changed yeah you know I told somebody once uh, another coaching friend of mine and so you know if Tony wasn't a track coach he would make an incredible car salesman because he would just actually <laughs> buy into whatever he's selling and and for good reason I don't, I'm not trying to make him sound like a gimmick or anything because I, I I love and buy into what he says um, but you know I just I, if we could just get the feed the cat seminars in front of like every coach in America I think this you know uh, I think a lot of people would be helped. Yeah, it's 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 unreal. Uh, and I, when I was getting ready to buy a free lap, uh, I talked with Tony on the phone to kind of talk to him about what system he has and what he might recommend. And if I was just starting out, because I have the you know, in public school funding, um, money is always an issue. And um, I was just trying to start with the most minimally viable system that I that I could. And then with the hopes of being able to kind of build it over time. Anyway, I ended up talking to him for like an hour. And he says that sometimes when he gives these feed the cats seminars, he feels like he's having a, a leading a tent revival. Um, and I said to him jokingly, but not that jokingly that, you know, I feel like I want to spread the good news uh, and tell other people about it. Um, you know, this is, this is what I learned and this is how I'm, going to approach things now. And, and now it's been a few years and it's how I, 
have started to approach things and, and what I've seen and like, I want everybody to do it. I know it's like, uh, it's, it's a, it can be a hard sell for people who have always done things a certain way. Um, or who have had success, especially like it's hard to, it's easy to make a change if, if it's very obvious that what you're doing isn't working. Right. Uh, and go, well, this is not getting us the results we want. We need to do something different. Um, but it's a lot harder, I think, to to make a change, and especially one that would be so dramatic uh, as shifting to like a feed the cats approach, if you've had, you know, a reasonable amount of success with what you're doing. Because, you know, it, it's, uh, it's com- you get comfortable. Um, and if it ain't broke, don't fix it sort of mentality. But I think that it's uh, it's important not to get complacent uh, and to always look for, you know, what, what are some things that we can still uh, do differently and maybe, and hopefully grow and get better all the time. Cause if you're staying the same, you're getting worse because other people around you are getting better. Uh, so we have to always be looking for ways to kind of push the envelope a little bit. Yeah. We're all about growth here on this podcast. I heard, I think that's in the title. <laughs> I, I want to go back real quick. I want to touch on one thing. Um, just because you 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 know you were in a situation somewhat similar to I was when I started out, you know what what was it like for you as an 18 19 year old kid coming back to your high school and coaching, you know did you have challenges you know that you know these are kids that you were teammates with a year ago what was that what was that like for you real quick? Yeah um, yeah it was a challenge for sure because for that for that very reason right um, you know I was now coaching guys that I had run with um, and. I think as a, as a 18, 19 year old kid, um, you know, they, even if, even if I hadn't run with them, um, and hadn't formally been their teammate, if I was just a 18 or 19 year old kid who showed up out of nowhere, um, I think there's a certain amount of like, um, machismo or like, uh, I don't know, high school boys, man, you never, you, but it was a struggle sometimes. Like, who's this guy? Like, what does he know? He's the same age as I am. And we were running together last year. And, uh, and I said, I mentioned in an article that I wrote recently, like I wasn't always like probably a lot of fun to coach actually. Um, so, you know, for me to go from that kid who was, you know, athletic enough to be successful, uh, not setting the world on fire, but like good enough to get the job done without right, like really having to do a whole lot. Um, and now I'm showing up and like trying to push kids and uh, uh, trying to get them to maybe do things that they know, they know or saw firsthand that uh, I didn't necessarily do as a high school athlete. Um, so that was, that was a little bit challenging. Uh, you know, the older guys didn't necessarily always want to listen to what I, what I had to say. Um, at least when it came to like trying to get, you know, trying to take sort of a disciplinary approach or anything like that. I mean, when it came to hurdling, you know, I at least had enough uh, credence with the guys that I hurdled with that they knew that I was a decent enough hurdler and that, that I could help them in that way. But um, if I had to like try to exert any sort of authority whatsoever, (laughs) that was, uh, that was a bit of a challenge early on. Um, But, you know, eventually if you stick with it you know you you, some more years uh separate you from your athletes that you're coaching and the it's not as tough of a sell um when you didn't literally compete with and practice with those same kids every day and now you're trying to fill a different role um so but yeah it was a challenge Uh, i gotta ask real quick before before i lose this question in my head 
So you were here for, you know, a couple of years, which is better, Illinois or Michigan? Which, who's got better track? That's a, that's a loaded question, my man. Uh, you know, I, it's hard to say. Um, there are certain things that I, that I really love and miss about Illinois track and field for sure. Um, especially the way that, uh, the state meet is run in Illinois. Um, I love the two day state meet. Uh, we have a one day state meet here. Um, and I also love that in the state of Illinois, uh, all of the divisions are hosted at the same location. So you get a chance to see those top notch athletes from every division, uh, on the same stage in Michigan, as I said, we have a one day state meet and we have multiple state meets. So like the division one state meet is in one location, the division two state meets in another location. So if you are at one state meet, you know, you don't get to see any of those other kids compete. So I definitely miss, I miss that aspect for sure from, from Illinois. It's just so much fun to, to go down on Thursday or whatever and, um, and see who's going to qualify. And then, you know, you kind of get a chance to get excited about what that Saturday is going to look like. And, you know, kind of the races to watch and the, the kids to watch and the schools to watch. And actually now that I'm, this is kind of off topic of the question that you asked, but I, I mentioned, I didn't know who Tony Holler was when I saw him the first time, but I did know that I did know what Plainfield North was. I saw it cause I saw him at a clinic in Michigan, but I remembered Plainfield North uh, from being in Illinois and remembering that they always had sprinters uh, at the state meet. And I'm like, well, I know that this guy either is really good at recruiting or really good at coaching sprinters. Turns out probably both, but um, you know, that was, that was kind of funny too, to uh, be in Michigan at a clinic and be like, Oh, I recognize that school from Illinois. I'm going to definitely make sure I go watch that guy. Real quick. What's the demographic of the school you're coaching at now? Like what size wise, you know, what, what's your school at now? So Kalamazoo Central, we have about 1,700 kids uh, in the high school. Um, we're a super diverse district demographically. Like I think our I think our high school is something around like 40% African American, like 35% white, 15% Hispanic. Uh, we have a huge language diversity in our school. Uh, in our district, there's something like. 45 different languages spoken within our district, which is crazy. Like I can't even name 45 languages. So it's, uh, it's a really fun place to teach and fun place to coach because you just have people from all different walks of life um, and with all different experiences. Like I, I literally had a student who was in America because his parents had to flee during their Rwandan genocide. Okay. Like you have experience that I can't even fathom, you know? And so I, I tell people all the time, like I learned so much from my kids that I teach and that I coach just by, just by listening to them and getting to know them and hearing the stories that they tell. And sometimes they don't tell a lot, you know, sometimes they don't always want to share a lot uh, about, about their, their lives. If it is something wild like that, but you know, it's just a really, really great, uh, place and I love it there. That's why I, that's one reason why I said I hope it's for the long haul. I haven't always felt like I fit in the places that I've taught and coached, but after it took me, I guess, I don't know, I can't do the math, eight or nine years of teaching to before I landed here and uh, I feel like I'm at home, you know, with the kids I teach and 
the people I work with uh, and the community here. So I'm, I'm really happy to be here where I am now and, uh, and hope to be teaching and coaching here for a long, long time. Do you coach boys and girls presently? Do you coach both? Yeah. And um, in, in Michigan track is really a lot more co-ed than it is uh, in Illinois. Like pretty much all of our meets are co-ed boys run first, girls run, run next. Actually we switch year to year, depending on the year who runs first, but even in our state meet is, is all together. Uh, it's not a boys state meet and a girls state meet. So, and like when I was coaching in Illinois, that's how we ran our practices just to maximize our coaching staff. Um, we were fortunate that kind of our expertise was kind of, you know, spread around to where it just made sense. Like we practiced together and, and I coached all the hurdlers uh, when I was in Illinois, but yeah, I, that's same deal here. I coach both boys and girls, sprinters and hurdlers. That's how it's been uh, pretty much everywhere I've coached from as a volunteer to as, a, as an assistant. I was actually the girls head coach uh, when I was in Illinois and now back to kind of, but ti- you know, you know, title doesn't really mean a lot on a track and field coaching staff necessarily. I was, yeah, I was the girls head coach, but I was also the everybody hurdler coach uh, and, and went to all the boys meets, you know, and, and that kind of thing. So, but yeah, I mean, I tell, that's, that's why I tell people I've coached boys, I've coached girls, I've been a volunteer, I've been a head coach, I've been an assistant. Um, my experience, I think, and, I, and I've coached at five different schools. So I think I have a, uh, a diverse experience in that regard. So I'm the head boys coach, but I coach the girl throwers as well. Mm-hmm. And so as somebody who's coached both, I want to hear your opinion on this because somebody that's only coached one gender and especially if they've only coached boys might not understand in my, in my experience, girls are way tougher than boys at, at the, at least at the high school level, junior high, they're all babies, but at, at tougher the, in what way? all the girls I've coached have been way tougher than any of the guys I've coached. I don't know what it is, but they will run through anything. If their, their legs broke, they'll still try to get in. I have guys that will break a nail and try to scratch. I don't know if that's, yeah. I don't know if that's your, if that's your experience, but in my experience, girls are way tougher than boys. Yeah. I actually, I love coaching girls. Um, uh, and even when I was, even when I was young, um, I felt like the girls were, uh, quicker to, to buy into what I was selling, uh, than the guys were who had to like prove themselves or whatever, you know, didn't want to take direction from somebody who was barely older than, than, that, than they were or whatever. But yeah, uh, I've, I have had a great experience coaching girls. And I think the ones that I've had anyway, uh, have responded really well and have taken to coaching. And, you know, when I, when I was the girls head coach, uh, in Illinois, we had a tremendous group. We won our conference that year and we won our sectional, which, um, was interesting because we were the smallest school in our sectional. Monticello had always been 1A. And then that year, we like just barely made it over the enrollment hump to where we were now 2A. Some of the other people were kind of like lamenting that, like, uh, you know, now we got to go up against all these other schools. But I, I always hated like the big fish in a small pond schools like as an athlete and as a, and as a coach, you know, like, I don't know, man, we had some, we had some schools in our area, uh, not to dog on any like private schools or Catholic schools or anything like that. But we had some schools in our area where, you know, they were, they were way smaller than, than we were, but they were able to recruit 
certain types of athletes. And so they just wipe the floor with everybody that's the same size as they were. And so, you know, the, like I said, kind of this big fish in a small pond. So I was actually excited to, uh, to move up and be in a bigger pond, so to speak. You know, we had like 525 kids uh, and in our sectional schools from Bloomington and schools from uh, like Springfield and Decatur and Champaign, you know, a thousand plus size schools. And we ended up winning, winning the sectional uh, as the smallest school there. Qualified for state in, I think, nine different events that year. Then I moved, Then we moved back to Michigan. So I was only, you know, that we did that that year. And then I had to break the news uh, at our banquet at the end of the year that I was leaving and going back to Michigan. But to my knowledge, and, you know, somebody might have to fact check me on this, but to my knowledge, the Monticello girls team has won conference and sectional every year since then. And I think they were in a pretty good position. I read an interview with uh, Coach Welter. I think they were in a pretty good position to where they actually thought they might have a chance to take the girls state title this year, this past spring, if not for COVID. Uh, And seeing what they're doing in cross country right now, um, I think that's probably a pretty fair assessment on Coach Welter's part because their, their girls and boys cross country team is just killing it right now. Um, so that's kind of fun too. I kind of keep an eye on, on how they're doing. And I talked to, talk to Cully Welter pretty frequently. Um, he's a big fantasy baseball nerd like I am. So when we talk, it's either about, it's either about track or it's about fantasy baseball. As a coach in Illinois, I can respect the Monticello name. You know, they, they're always very competitive in, in any sport. Unfortunately, I've been on the other side of the football field against them a couple of times here in Macomb and it's never gone well. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, it's something about that school, man. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but uh, I tell this story as a as a teacher that my first the first day of my first year teaching there, you know, school starts at eight fifteen, uh, and we would have a bell at eight oh five, a bell at eight ten, and then a bell at, at eight fifteen to start class. Uh, and when the eight oh five bell rang, everybody in the hallways started to go to their class. And by the time the 810 bell rang, I looked inside my classroom because I'm standing in the hallway, like greeting kids, whatever. And I looked inside my classroom and they were all sitting in their seats with their notebooks out and pencil and paper, pen and paper, pencil, whatever, ready to go. Uh, and I looked to the teacher next to me. I'm like, is this like, is this normal? She's like, oh yeah, if they're all sitting down, you can go ahead and start. You don't have to get, you know, you don't have to wait till 815. You can go ahead and get started anytime and that was like that was totally totally foreign to me coming from the school I was at before where you know I would sometimes I think I had like uh like 30 kids on my roster for first hour and I would start class with 10 and I might have 25 by the time first hour was done as they would trickle in you know for the entire first period the the kids there they show up and they know that they have a job to do and that was my experience coaching them too like coaching there was easy because I could do anything uh, and there would be like, okay, yeah, we're going to do it. And to coach alongside coach Welter, who is just, I can't say enough good stuff about, about that, that guy. Um, I've learned a ton from him, respect him a ton. I, I really enjoyed working with him. He has a really, uh, he has really high expectations for everybody that he works with kids and coaches alike. Uh, and that can sometimes make him, you know, that can sometimes create tough conversations 
uh, and can create, I, I don't want to say friction. That's definitely not the right word, but you know, I can recall some conversations with him when I was coaching with him where I didn't necessarily leave feeling like, like I wanted to hang out with him after the fact, you know, I was like kind of, kind of miffed or, you know, we didn't see eye to eye on something, but it always would come back to like, we all want the same thing. You know, we all want, uh, every, we all want the kids to get better. We all want to, uh, we all want to improve. And, you know, we ended up coming to a, a, a place where we had a pretty good professional relationship. And like I said, still stay in touch with him. Uh, got a chance to see him uh, before COVID hit actually, because his daughter um, is a pole vaulter at University of Louisville. Uh, and they were competing uh, at University of Notre Dame, which is only, it's a short drive from, from where I'm at in Kalamazoo. So drove down, got a chance to see Aaliyah vault for Louisville, got a chance to talk with him and very, very glad to have had a chance to coach alongside him. Let's talk coach speed. All right. Um, how did that get, you know, first of all, what is it and how did that get started and what does it kind of turn into? Yeah. So coach speed was born out of the fact that uh, I wanted to sprint and I knew that if I was going to going to do it for real, I wanted to have other people around me doing it as well. I'm not always like, I'm not always the most self-motivated person if I'm being honest with myself, but I, but I know that if I have people kind of going with me that I can, you know, that I can push myself to do what I want to do. And so, uh, yeah, I got, I got, I got a free lap over the summer, as I told you, after I talked with uh, Coach Holler, I ended up getting one very small system, two cones, one chip, literally. And uh, I started sprinting and I was like, well, this, this is pretty fun. And I, I kind of wondered if anybody else uh, who is a coach or a former athlete might also want to sprint. Uh, and so I just kind of put it out there on Twitter. You know, I knew there were a fair amount of coaches, uh, at least in the circle of people that I, that I follow who have free lap or some other timing system um, uh, and who, you know, coach sprinters and, you know, maybe there's old guys like me who want to see if they, they can still go fast. So I just put it out there one day and I got a pretty good response from some great coaches. And I'm sure we'll talk about who some of those people are shortly, but, and I said, anybody who wants to join, I'll make the spreadsheet. So I made the spreadsheet. Um, you know, we were up to like, oh, I think we have over 40 names on the spreadsheet now. Uh, and um, different sheets for different metrics, 40 yard dash, 30 fly, 10 fly, uh, exchange, zone, exchange zone flies, broad jumps, vertical jumps, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, uh, of course, the, the formulas that our resident Google Sheets whiz, Brendan Thompson, wrote some codes and some formulas to get us a nice leaderboard that auto-populates. Um, so we kind of have our own record rank publish uh, leaderboard situation going on. And so that's been really, really awesome and, and a lot of fun to see it grow from, you know, me just throwing it out there on Twitter to now we have over 40 guys all over the country uh, and just added our first international name, uh, a coach from London uh, reached out to me and asked if he could get on the spreadsheet as well. So, um, you know, it's, it's growing like crazy. And I, you know, I was a sprinter in high school, a sprinter and hurdler in high school, uh, and I've always coached sprinters and hurdlers, but I haven't personally sprinted since then, you know, I guess that's, you know, 
that's maybe not totally fair. I guess as a young coach, I would still mix it up with some of the kids and, and sprint with them and stuff. But somewhere along the line, they all started to be way faster than me. And uh, I guess my ego got in the way and I stopped, stopped racing young kids. Um, you know, I just, uh, just a, you know, log miles kind of guy, you know, just try and stay fit, stay active, go, you know, go log some miles, maybe lift sometimes, but I, I just made the decision. Like I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to sprint. I'm going to kind of program for myself the same sort of way that I might program for athletes and, and just see, you know, can, can I at age 34 wake up those fast twitch fibers that uh, have laid dormant for the last 16 years? Can I get fast again, uh, or at least faster without falling apart? It was kind of funny when I said I was going to start sprinting. I had a couple coaches like comment, you know, well, take it easy. You know, you know, you're going to pull something, you know, on a, I tried sprinting five years ago and I did this to myself and I don't know if it was bravery or foolishness or arrogance or what, but I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to go hard. And if it breaks, it breaks. <laughs> kind of like, yeah, if I, if I yank a hammy, I yank a hammy, but like, I'm going to, I'm not going to go say I'm sprinting and not friggin' sprint, you know, I'm just going to full send and, uh, if something breaks, something breaks, but knock on wood, nothing's broken yet. Um, and I think that, you know, that's from being really cautious about not overdoing it. Like, yeah, I'm going max intent, but I'm doing really, really low volume. I've learned that I need some days to recover, you know? So I was just trying to be smart about it as well. But yeah, so that's how it started. I wanted I wanted to sprint and I was like, well, if, if I can't be the only 30 something guy out here who thinks sprinting sounds like fun. Uh, and now we have people as young as 22, Coach Kyle Edwards from Mishawaka, who was posting great X Factor content on Twitter. Um, and recently uh, we added Nico Capazio, who is a former Plainfield North athlete, uh, current jumps coach at, uh, at Plainfield North. Those are our two youngest guys at age 22, uh, all the way up to, I think we have, um, I think 56 is our oldest member, uh, coach Roger Sparks. And I can't remember off the top of my head where he's at, but yeah, it's, it's a whole wide range of ages and backgrounds and levels of experience, you know, high school coaches to, S&C guys, track and field guys, private, private coaches. And it's just been so cool to, to see what everybody's doing and see what kind of, kind of where we stack up with one another, but also to just learn from everybody because the, the diversity of, of experience in that group is just ridiculous. Just to make anybody listening jealous right now, the amount of knowledge that just gets casually dropped in our group chat <laughs> it's on insane. a daily basis. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a clinic for free sometimes. Like, this is crazy. It really is. It's insane. Like, um, and one of our other coaches mentioned that um, coach Thomas Broxterman one day said, this is the best PD I've ever gotten is just being in this group chat. And I, you know, I don't always feel, I, sometimes I feel like, man, I, I don't know that I have a lot to contribute to this group that, that, you know, other people don't already know. I'm not, I guess what I'm saying is I'm not the smartest person in the room by, by a long shot. Uh, but that's great. And I've mentioned that in the group chat before too. Like, um, you know, if you're the smartest person in, in the room, you got to find a new room. 
or you know if you're the smartest person in your friends group you might want to find some new friends because um you know you're not you're not necessarily going to learn a lot there uh and, and i am far and away not the smartest person in that in that group chat and so i'm constantly learning stuff um from other coaches and um i i i don't know i guess i guess i, I guess i kind of feel proud about it even though it's not my like they're the ones dropping knowledge uh but like i do i do in a sense feel proud of uh, it has grown to this level um and to hear you know, somebody like, like yourself or, or coach Broxman say like, this is like a, this is like a clinic. This is like the best professional development because it's true. I mean, it's, it's, if you're, if you're listening to this and you want to know what I'm talking about, definitely reach out to me on Twitter. I'm sure coach will put, uh, put my handle and stuff in the show notes and everything like that. But it's to the point now where like, I'm actually kind of, I'm actually kind of doing a little bit of gatekeeping Cause I've had a lot of people ask me to join the group chat, but they don't have, uh, they don't have intention of, of sprinting, which is cool. And I want to talk with those people, but, um, maybe we need like maybe a different forum for that because I really want to keep the focus of, of the people in that group as like, yeah, we're, you know, we're talking, we're talking training, but we're also kind of practicing what we preach and getting out there and getting after it too. Plus I think Twitter group chats have a limit of like 50 people and, if I just let, you know, if I just let every single person in, we're going to be at 50 people and it's just going to be like a bunch of people screaming into, uh, screaming into the nothingness. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been really, really cool to see. And it almost feels like if I have a specific question about a specific topic, there's a coach in there who I can ask, you know, like if I, if I need a drill to correct something, uh, you know, Graham Eaton is your guy. Like I've got a drill for that. Like, you know, he's, he's kind of the drill master. Um, just the other day, Brendan Thompson and I were talking about, you know, what is, what does a speed endurance workout look like? Because I think, you know, sometimes we might confuse that with like special endurance or something, you know, where we start, now we start thinking about like long tempo because it's an endurance work and him kind of clarifying like what that means to him. And, you know, if it's a, a strength and conditioning question, you know, there's guys in there for that too. Keith Ferrara is awesome in there. Um, and then sort of the the jack of all trades, of course, Mike Whiteman, hound speed, uh, absolute like crazy the amount of knowledge that he has and the amount of great the great content that that he posts. And we even got some baseball guys in there now, which uh, uh, you know that's probably a conversation for another day because we had we've had some pretty interesting talks about uh, about baseball training as well. But yeah, it's 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 really cool, man. One of the things, especially, you know, and talking about the feed the cast philosophy, like we were talking about earlier tonight, you run into roadblocks and, you know, mm-hmm. some people don't want to change, right? Yeah. You know, in your, in your 16 year coaching career, I'm, I'm sure you've ran into people with different coaching philosophies, uh, you know, than you, as we all do. How do you find the best way is to go about those relationships? What, you know, what works for you? How do you handle those kind of things? Yeah, it's a really, it's a good question. Cause that's, that's, uh, those are, tricky waters to navigate sometimes you know if you have if you're on staff with coaches who may not share the same philosophy uh that you do but i think that you know you have to at at least start from a a common place and sort of assume the best intentions from everybody on staff like nobody that i've ever coached with has thought well i'm just gonna try to hurt kids you know 
or, you know, I'm going to sabotage this season, you know, or anything like that. So like, while, you know, the, the approaches that uh, we all take might be different, you know, I think that we have to always remember that everybody who's part of the coaching staff wants to see kids get better and wants to see kids improve and wants to ultimately provide them with an opportunity to experience success, right? So if you can always keep that in mind, I think that it makes uh, it not ever easy to navigate those philosophical differences, but at least gives you some common ground to start from. And there are, there are guys that I've coached with who I couldn't possibly disagree more with as to training philosophy. And that can be really, really hard uh, when you're trying to make a case for like, you know, I'd, I'd really like to do this this way. Um, and, and here are my reasons. And somebody else has, has a, a completely different way that they'd like to approach it. So it kind of, it can be hard because if you're convinced that what you want to do is, is the right thing, uh, it can be hard to try and compromise on that. But sometimes, sometimes we have to, you know, sometimes you have to, I guess that's kind of my, how I try to approach it is like, look, nobody's, nobody's out here trying to screw anybody up. Nobody's here trying to, trying to do a bad job. Um, and there's certainly more than one way to approach training. So I think as long as everybody is on the same page of, uh, as far as what their goals are for, as a coach, uh, as a team, and you can keep that kind of purpose at the forefront, then you can figure out how to navigate there together with your, with your different approaches. Uh, I say all that, of course, this spring, I think would have been a real test of that for me because I was sort of the last couple of years, I would say I was sort of dabbling with kind of a low dose speed centric feed the more feed the cats type philosophy and, and trying to kind of like get little bits of that in. But I really felt like this, this year was going to be the year where we, where we bought in all the way. And uh, so I oversaw our, our winter uh, speed program. Our coach called it winter conditioning. I was like, coach, we got to stop calling it winter conditioning. Like, um, can we please not put it in the announcements as winter conditioning? Can we please put it in as, as speed, speed training? And I, you know, I'm like trying to get kids to come like, you know, oh, I don't know if I can come to con conditioning. We're not going to condition. We're going to, we're, we're going to sprint. You know, it's, it's not conditioning. It's speed. It works strictly speed. And we did that, you know, and we did that all, all winter. And, you know, we were timing, timing sprints in the hallways and, you know, doing really low dose stuff and a lot of like plyo work, X factor type stuff and seeing some, seeing some gains and seeing some growth. And then, when it came time to, you know, get outside for the spring, unfortunately, I started to see where, you know, kind of reverting back to what we've always done. And so I was kind of starting to kind of trying to push back on that a little bit. Um, and some of those tough conversations, you know, that we mentioned before, and then it all ended up kind of not mattering anyway, because we had the rug pulled out from underneath us uh, with COVID those tough conversations sort of stopped for the time being anyway, but I'm sure that I'm sure that they'll, they'll be back, you know, whenever we are cleared to, to get the go ahead on track and field again, because I'm going to keep pushing for that. You know, I'm going to keep pushing for what I think is, is good for high school kids 
and to hopefully attract more athletes to our program. And we have a big school, but we don't have as nearly as many kids on our track and field team as you would think for a school of our size. And I really think that one of the the key elements uh, of a low dose sprint centric, you know, performance based approach to to speed training is you start to attract kids because it's fun. And because the types of athletes that you want on your sprint and jump and hurdle program tend to be competitors, you know, and they tend to crave that stuff. Working with the football team this, this summer, most of those kids trying to think, I think maybe one, one of the kids that I worked with in football was a track athlete, maybe two at most, you know, and these are, these are the running backs and the wide receivers and the, and the DBs and stuff like that. Um, And, and they're not out for track at our school. And so that was kind of a long, it was kind of a long game on my part of like, well, if I can introduce these kids to, to kind of my philosophy, maybe I can get some of them to come out for track too. And we only did it for like a month or so, but we saw some pretty significant gains and more than anything for me, when it's time to be, to, to wrap things up and you have kids say, coach, can I do one more? Cause I think I can go faster than my last one. Or, you know, sometimes we'd have kids race and it's like, oh, we got to, I got to race so-and-so. I didn't get a chance to race him yet. We need to race because I need to, I need to, I need to whoop them. You know, they talk, talk stuff to each other. Um, but I've never heard, I've never heard anybody say, coach, can I do one more gasser? Well, I don't know if 10, 400s is enough. Can we do like 12 or so? Like, you know, you don't, you don't get that type of enthusiasm in a lot of other training approaches. So um, that's, that's been a huge thing for me too. Uh, It's just kind of seeing how kids respond to it and they're attracted to it. They crave it. They want to go fast. You know, they don't want to go just like run until they puke, contrary to what my, you know, 20 year old self might've thought, you know, they want to race, they want to compete. They want to, you know, they want to line up against somebody else and, and say, let's go. So that was, that was pretty cool to see as well was their response to that. But I guess to get back to your to the original question of, of how we got there, uh, those, those conversations can be hard, but I think if you, if you don't have maybe the same philosophy that I do, it would be hard to look at how kids respond to it and say, eh, I'm not sure if this is for, for me, you know, cause that's powerful stuff. When you see kids getting excited about their training uh, and wanting to compete in practice and not just on meet day or not just on game day. You know, when I have 15, 20, 20 kids show up outside my door in the morning uh, because they want to see their, their 40 times posted from the day before and they're waiting for me like to, to post it. I don't know how any coach could look at that and go, nah, no thanks. I think it's a, it's a special thing when you see, the, the changes you make get kids more excited than, mm-hmm. than, than prior. You know, that's something that I've been really fortunate about as I've slowly turned around the program from when I took it over here in Macomb six years ago. Now kids are, you know, are significantly more excited. And it's just, and it's not really, it has nothing to do with me as a coach. It's just, you know, like the, the things I'm doing to make practices more fun, things like that. And to kind of get away from that grind mentality and, you know, healthy and fun's the goal. And, it's, it's something really nice to experience as a coach, you know, regardless of like accolades or success, just to see kids love the sport more than they did a year ago is all we can really ask for. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, it's funny that you brought up the the grind. It goes around on Twitter. It feels like every once in a while I see either people really like glorifying that idea still of the grind. The grind never stops. The grind never sleeps. Stay grind, you know, stay grind, stay grinding out of my grind all that kind of stuff, as you have, and as a, a lot of the coaches that I talk to have, you know, have adopted sort of the anti-grind mentality, which isn't to say that you don't work hard, right? Like, I think that that conversation is is a different one entirely, because I would never suggest that we're not, you know, we're not giving our all on a given day. We're max intent, you know, like we're, we're going hard. But yeah, I, I think that when you just when you just grind and grind and grind and grind constantly, then you, you start to wear kids down. And that's, that's the total opposite, I think, of what our goal should be as coaches. We shouldn't want to wear kids down. We should want to build kids up because those, those kids are going to be able to perform better. Not to mention the toll that it can take on coaches, right? If you're, if you're just grind, 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 grind. Man, I, the, when I was in Illinois, I coached freshman basketball for one year. And, and that was enough. And I'll never coach basketball again. And I love basketball. It was just so hard uh, on me and so hard on my family, especially because, you know, in Illinois, indoor track and field is its own IHSA season. Now, in Michigan, that's not the case. Um, Indoor track is not an MHSAA sanctioned sport. There's still indoor track um, and it's uh, MITCA, Michigan Interscholastic Track Coaches Association. Like it essentially becomes like a club thing. Like you can't run for your school. You have to run under a club name. You know, it's like pay paid entry to like even participate in the meets. And so some kids still do compete indoor, but not in the same way that they do in Illinois. Anyway, I started to to say that because, you know, there was there was a point where indoor track and field overlapped with basketball. And so I was coaching freshman basketball starting in, I don't know, whenever freshman basketball starts, like November, I guess. And that went led right into indoor track to the point where I was like leaving freshman basketball practice and then immediately track practice. Uh, and then of course, regular track in the spring, uh, you know, through the end of May, very beginning of June, maybe. And, you know, that was a long stretch where I didn't see a whole lot of my, my wife and, uh, wife and kids. And it was just too much, just too much. You know, I don't coach basketball anymore. I started working with, with football, but only in a speed capacity uh, this summer. But I think that, that that's what I was grinding. That's what I was doing. You know, I, I was putting in long days, long hours every day first, you know, a huge chunk of the year. Uh, and it was, it was hard on my family and hard on my relationships and um, you know, something had to go. And so at the, I'm at the point now where like, Yes, I added speed with the football team, but in in a on a perfect day, like for our, our off-season track stuff, for example, you know, we're starting at 2.30 and we're done by 3.30, you know? And honestly, I don't know that an in-season day would, I would necessarily need it to be much longer than that, you know, unless you're a specialty type person who needs to sprint and then also jump on that same day, potentially. But uh, I'm just looking for ways to do what I love, which is, which is coach sprinters and hurdlers, and also spend time with people I love, which is my family. No offense to my athletes, of course, I love all of them too. But 
you know, this came up in our, this came up in our group chat. Um, this idea of work-life balance, you know, coach Josh McClure said, actually, he said, I don't think there should be a work-life balance. I think that life should heavily outweigh work. I, I, I think I would tend to agree. I would search for balance. Uh, but if I had to tip the scales in one, one direction, you know, the older I get, the more I'm like that, that scale needs to tip in the direction of, you know, my family and, uh, and also taking care of myself, you know, cause if I'm run ragged, then my family's not getting the best of me and neither are my athletes, you know? So you kind of have to find that, that sweet spot of, I, I say, what is the least that I can do and still do a great job? Um, and if, if I can find that, what is the least I can do and still do a great job? Then that's like, that's the ultimate goal for me because it means that I'm given the best I can to my, to my athletes, um, and getting positive results from, from training for, for them so that they can experience success, um, and still leave in gas in the tank so that I'm not like totally worthless as a, as a dad and as a husband. Well, coach, you know, as we wrap up, got to end it same as always. It's the coach growth podcast for a reason. How's Coach Jermaine going to grow? You know, what's the what's the path? What's the projection moving forward here? Uh, well, you know, as I said, right now I'm an assistant coach in our current program. Ultimately, I I hope because I'm going to be teaching and coaching here for a long time. I hope that someday I'll get the chance to to be a head coach of our program. Not that I would want anybody to to leave or retire or be pushed out or anything like that, but. Um, you know, I had that taste in Illinois of, of getting a chance to be a head coach with, with the girls team down there. And, you know, I really want that opportunity again. So that's, that's definitely a big thing for me is I want, want the chance to, to be the head track coach at Kalamazoo Central. Hopefully keep writing. I've done some writing uh, for Simply Faster and hopefully keep, keep writing there and sharing ideas. Uh, I'd love to see the coach speed group grow even more and get, get more and more people sprinting and falling in love with sprinting again uh in adulthood uh reclaiming their identities as as sprinters i half jokingly said to my wife yesterday we were out running an errand and there was an empty uh an empty grocery store it, you know it went out of business or something and just a big empty building and i said i'm gonna buy that building honey and she said well, why <laughs> what are you talking about i said yeah that's where my that's where my sports performance gym is going to be right there. I said, I think that building's big enough that I can get some track in there and we can get some sprints done inside. And I'm not going to buy that building because I don't have the money to buy that building right now, but uh, I'd be lying if I said, I, I haven't thought about that. Cause you know, I, I love, I love coaching speed. Uh, I love coaching sprinters. I love, I love all that stuff. And um, to be able to do that, you know, sometime other than just when it's track season, to be able to work with kids, you know, more yeah. adults, anyone, you know, in that capacity, I think that could be a lot of fun too. So who knows, maybe someday. Well, coach, I really appreciate you sitting down with me. I appreciate, you know, taking the time to talk to me, let everybody know about coach speed and, you know, this awesome thing that you started that I'm very grateful and happy to be a part of. Um, and, you know, thanks for, thanks for, thanks for talking with me, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me on and uh, we'll be happy to do it again sometime too.